I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, here today with none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. Good morning. What's your middle name? William. Sean William Latimer. The name of his son, William. That's where it came from. That's right. Family name? Yeah. Gra- grandfather, too. Yep. There you go. I hope uh, I hope Will passes down the tradition. Um, I'm going to start calling him Bill. Does anybody oh, call him Bill? You know, it's funny. We were just talking about that because uh, we play basketball with a guy named Andrew. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, do you go by Andy? Or? And he goes, no, Andrew. But people call me Drew or Andy, and I don't know why. I said, oh, you know, it's funny. We have kind of the same rule. Our son's name is William. I'm totally fine with Will. Even Will's. Some people call him Will's. But once you get into like Willie and Bill and Billy, I'm like, no, come on. No, Billy. Uh, today we're talking about an article I wrote called Fool's Gold. Um, and I'll introduce the topic, but on this subject, is this something you've been wrestling with conversations or, or not so much? A little bit. I, I thought our conversation yesterday was eye-opening that um, we'll get into the w- details Well, I'll let bit. you give the background. Go ahead and talk about what the article is about. We were kind of – well, the, the article is that people are – Remembering that interest rates were so low for such a long period of time, so now that when they see a four handle in front of something like a two year, they get really excited and they go, "Oh well, I, I'm scared of stocks right now, so I'm going to go buy this." But they don't realize that, uh, especially investors that are invested in index funds or technology stocks that took a lot of the punishment last year, they're making a change almost at the worst possible time. Like something you've said a lot of times, you've already gotten punched in the face. You might as well like stick it out for the reward. Now that's not how we invest but uh, i do think it's a it's kind of something to recognize that there is a big opportunity cost for taking the the, a fixed instrument now instead of uh staying in something that does have the opportunity to have a larger return in the future yeah and i'm kind of even posing this as saying the two-year treasury and i'm picking on the two-year treasury because that's the conversation piece a lot of people are coming to me with and i'm saying hey it's fool's gold uh and what you're saying is imagine like, let's imagine this as funny as it might be, that you show up for a day of labor, right? You're digging ditches, whatever it might be. So uh, you, I, don't, I don't like this scenario. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I'm digging ditches. So I'm digging ditches for an eight-hour day. Um, I'm, I'm just spent at the end of the day. It would be like going home and not collecting my paycheck, right? Well, that's what you're saying. You're saying, hey, you got beat up last year. You're uncomfortable. You're trying to swap out some of your volatile assets – for these risk-free or fixed interest rate assets, but you're like, hey, you already did a full day's work, right? You already endured all of the volatility. You need to go pick up your paycheck. Um, And that's kind of what we're trying to relate a little bit in this article of introducing this idea of risk premium. The fact that if you want that reward and the juicy return you were looking for, right? um, You need to one, endure the volatility and then stick around for the paycheck. Uh, And we're kind of seeing that I don't think it's perfect, uh, and I hate kind of uh, highlighting one month, but the month of January is an example, right? The stock market roughly was up about 6%. So if you were selling stocks to lock into your 4.5% two-year treasury, Mm -hmm. divide that 4.5% by 12, right? Uh, You got less than a half a percent uh, for the month of January, while your old investment went up about 6%. Again, this isn't advice on what you should do. It's just trying to understand you need to look at the two-year treasury and see where does it fit in your portfolio. And one thing I tried to do in this article is said, hey, let me give you the lens 
of how I look at portfolios. And, and I try to keep it simple. Every investment is going to fall into one of two buckets, either money I'm going to spend really soon or money I'm going to spend later. I'm going to say that again. Portfolio breaks into two buckets, money I'm going to spend very soon and money I'm going to spend later. What we're arguing is that if you want to upgrade your savings account, then yes, buying short-term treasuries and high-yield money market accounts where you can get a 4% return in an environment where inflation is really high, that is prudent. If you're trying to do this, look at your money that's set aside for the long term and try to buy short-term investments and sell your other investments, that is not prudent. Um, And you have to understand these ideas of opportunity costs and volatility and kind of how all this breaks down. This kind of goes into just, we talk about this a lot, but there is no timing the market. And if you're trying to decide, oh, I'm going out of risk assets now, and I'm going to buy a treasury. And then when things settle down or feel better, I'm going to go back in. And uh, it's interesting, uh, this morning, a guy at the gym was asking, like, you know, what do you think stocks are going to do this year? And he's a pretty young guy. And so, like, the alarms go off in my head that I want to tell him, like, I just kind of want to shake him and be like, it doesn't matter. You know, your long-term retirement accounts, you're probably not going to touch for 20 or 30 years. Like, what do you... So I, I think that that's a common conversation that people seem to forget. I do have a question for you. So that short-term, long-term bucket, where is the uh, break-even or the middle? Like where, where does short-term become long-term? So like I Three perp- years, five years, 10 years? I love that you're asking that because I purposely like didn't define that in the article. Uh, it's murky. But w- what I'm trying to say is that when I'm defining short-term, I'm really asking you as an investor – to show me where you're going to spend the money. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's a house, okay, perfect. Uh, if it's your kid's college, great. That makes sense. Uh, if it's you know a second home that you want to buy, great. I don't think, this is my opinion, I don't think it's prudent to just say, I'm going to spend some Something. of the money in the next four or five years. I really don't think that's how most people's lifestyle work. I think that they spend a certain amount of money every month. They have a rhythm and cadence to their spending, right? And then the larger expenses, they can usually see them on the horizon. Does that make, I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. So I, 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 I'm sorry, really funny uh, interjection. Uh, I had someone say, oh, well, you know, I have this portion of money reserved for a wedding. And I was like, oh, and I knew they had a daughter. I'm like, congrats. That's so exciting. You know, are they, they're engaged, went into the wedding. No, 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 no. Oh, no, they're, they're not engaged. No, she's not even dating anyone. I just know that one day she's going to get married and I'm going to need that money. I'm like, how old is she? And she was like still in high school. And I, I, it kind of made me laugh because I was like, I don't know what that time frame looks like, but that's pretty hard to define. Yeah, it is. And I would be okay with that. If somebody really knew how much they wanted to spend, I'd be like, great. You know, you can set that aside. And like we said, the great thing is right now, high yield money market accounts or even short term treasuries, you can land yourself on that four handle, Mm -hmm. which you're saying is around 4% or 4.5%. That all makes sense to me. Where I think, and this is kind of where I came up with the idea of fool's gold, is that when people started to see they could get 4.5% on short term treasuries, they got enamored with it because they started to juxtapose it against where they've seen interest rates over the last decade. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I got to lock this, this in. Great. And my argument was, yes, you've upgraded the interest you should earn on your savings account, but you didn't totally upgrade. In finance, we use this term called real returns, where we take your interest rate and we minus out inflation. Guess what? When the two-year treasury was next to nothing and inflation was 2%, the 
it was negative two, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's at four and inflation prints are at six and seven. It's at negative two or three. So not much has changed on the real side. If anything, it actually might have gone down. The problem that I'm posing is that if you then go into that other bucket of long-term money and you start to take some of that money and allocate it to something that's going to get 4%, you're signing up for a rate of return that's lower than the target for that bucket of money. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Another thing to keep in mind too, and I, I'm not a, an economist or a predictor, but it is uh, you can see how you fall into this trap of chasing because let's say you do buy a two-year treasury and it's paying you the 4.5%. And then uh, let's say that something happens and rates come crashing down. Well, if rates come crashing down, uh, that might mean that something's happening in the economy, but that also means that growth stocks may you know, outperform because it's debt is cheaper. And then by the time your two years up to renew that two year, and I think you'll talk about this, you're not getting four and a half anymore. Now you're getting one or two again, and you kind of missed maybe that ramp up. And so then you go, oh, these look good again. I'm going to go back into stocks or risk assets. But you're kind of like a day late, you know? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You're talking about two things from my perspective. And and on this article, I tried to like make it bold and teach some new finance terms because I think they're important. Um, what you're introducing is there's this idea, idea of opportunity cost. If I put my money here, I can't put it somewhere else, right? So if we're now talking and saying we've defined that this is long-term money and we've now allocated it to something 4%, well, you're not owning stocks with that money. So you have to understand the opportunity cost over those two years, exactly what you mentioned. And then the other thing you're mentioning, what we call in finance, is reinvestment risk. I'm going to be really bold on this podcast, um, and I think – uh, it's consensus view. I think um, the the yield curve. You're going to get lit up in the comments. That's right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I think everything points to this is you're not going to reinvest at 4.5%. So at the end of those two years, I would be extremely surprised if you could reinvest at even the same rate. So what you're really signing up for is for 24 months to get a 4.5% return. And I'll tell you, if that was your stock portfolio, you'd be let down if that was the outcome over 24 months. Not to say that they don't do that because they do, but again, the the uh, the attraction, the reason the two-year became the prom queen is because people are so anchored to where they saw interest rates over the last decade, and it's fooling them a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, you even brought it up yesterday. I think you already wrote this or knew you were going to write about it. But you, you kind of talked about, we were talking about the 10-year. I decided last night. Oh, I had nothing to write about. Well, I, it, it was interesting hearing your comments on the five-year that you were like, hey, the five-year is actually pretty attractive. Because if we do think that rates will be lower two years from now, and you're still clipping at a higher coupon, it, it made sense to me. Yeah, that was my argument. I you know, I have a friend that really just wants to own treasuries, and he's always been that way. So it's, it's, it's nothing new. One of the things I was telling him the other day, hey, let's let's go through this thought exercise. You might want to ratchet up the duration on your portfolio. Um, and what I mean by that is that if, if you already know you really want to just own treasuries, I mean, a month ago or however long ago it was, you could have locked in a four handle on the 10-year, yeah. right? So the, the idea there is over the next 10 years, you get 4%. Why am I arguing that? Because interest rates aren't made up, right? 
two things that you can look at to get an idea or an anchor point of where interest rates are going to be is you look at something like GDP growth and you look at something like inflation, mm-hmm. right? It, it, you need to be compensated for lending somebody else your money, um, what the general growth rate is and where inflation is. If you start looking at the tips market, um, treasury infl- inflation protected securities, you can get an implied expectation for what the consensus view is meaning people putting their money into the market on on what inflation is going to be at five years and 10 years. A lot of those numbers sit at 2%. So if you know that's going to be a huge anchor point for where interest rates should be, and you know you're going to own treasuries, and you can lock in 4% for a longer term, for, for some people that can make sense. So that's, again, with that fool's gold, is that if you are so attracted by the interest rates, you actually probably should have committed to longer term, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and the same thing for, for folks, you know, I was super blessed that I ended up uh, getting a mortgage. I think it was April of last year mm-hmm. uh, when I bought my house. Uh, and I ended up locking in at like 2.4%. It, it wasn't skill set, but the, the, the thing is when you get to lock that in, you're on the positive side when interest rates are going up. Yeah, we talk about that a lot, and it's in our white paper that David wrote for this year that one of his bold calls is that rates will be lower at the end of the year. And uh, I think that kind of goes in line with what your prediction is, that that two-year won't renew at 4.5%, or may not. Yes. Uh, and that's where, again, I write these articles because they're usually thematic conversations, and I don't have the perfect way to articulate this, but my heart goes out to people because I do think they're getting fooled. Um, because the the bummer is if you put a large sum of your money that was in the stock market into an investment for the next two years where you're going to get 4%, it, two years is going to happen fast, and then you've got to figure out where to go from there. And then let's say the market does well. Then you're uneasy, and you're like, oh, stocks feel really rich. Like I, I remember when the Dow was at this price, and now it's at this price, and you're just causing this um, cyclical anxiety. Uh, because you're not making financial decisions that are prudent. And, and I'm, I'm basing prudence on this idea of... Short-term, start- long-term? <laughs> no, part of it, but start with the financial plan. Yeah. Right? The portfolio isn't made um, because you're shooting from the hip. You have a plan. You have weddings. You have retirement. You need income to replace your wages. The plan is where it starts. The sole purpose of the portfolio is to meet the objectives of the financial plan. Yeah. But if you don't have the plan, it's the wild, wild west. You yep. can do whatever you want. Uh, and that's why I think the planning aspect is huge. And how uncomfortable is it when you talk to someone who's extremely confident that they say, no, I sold this, I sold that, I sold this. I just, I can tell, I have a feeling and I'm going to go to treasuries and then in six months, three months, fill in the blank, I'm going to buy this or buy that. And they say it almost with such confidence that, you're like, wow, can I borrow your crystal ball when you're done? Because you know exactly what's going to happen. And you, you mentioned in the article that uh, I haven't met anyone either that is good at predicting the ups and downs and timing the market. And like you said, if you are good at that and you have that resume, you should open an investment shop because that's what people are looking for. And we understand why people do it because you and I do it all the time. Because in our heads, we're gamblers. 
we talk about who's going to win the sports game, mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And both of us are like, man, I'm, eight, I'm right like 80% of the time. And the reason we think that is because we've never put money on the line. Yeah. Uh, and nobody keeps track. We're of not it. putting our retirement accounts on the line. <laughs> exactly. And nobody keeps track of it. So it's this idea, it, and it is the best response, even though it can feel a little bit aggressive, is that if you understand when to buy your treasuries and to change them back to stocks, you're you're basically saying, hey, I, I understand market timing. And if you can do that in a meaningful and a profitable and a consistent manner, I have advice for you. You should start an investment company because that is a very sought-after talent, uh, and it's very lucrative. What Sean and I just said is that we've never met that person uh, that can consistently do that. And what we're saying is we've studied markets and we're not those people. So if you think you're that person, I would challenge you a little bit to keep a little bit better track record of the decisions that you've made um, and make sure you have, we talked about last week, that accountability partner to really keep you honest. Is it a, I think it's John Malden in his book when he talks about, uh, you know, if someone, whoever's the best performing for like one year or two years or three years, it's like they hit bullseye on the dartboard and then they hit bullseye again and then they hit it four or five times. And then you're, you're kind of looking at that history and saying, okay, do I think they can hit it six, seven and eight times in a row? There is a certain point where you have to like put it through the common sense filter, you know? Yeah. And uh, there's some sort of reversion of the mean and probabilities. And we have a very selective bias when we look at history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of us are thinking, oh, I knew the Eagles were going to be in the Super Bowl, yeah. right? Like Jalen Hurts, like I remember I watching it. him in college football and it was just like a no brainer. But then we, we say, hey, time out. We go back to it, remember when he was like, maybe not even going to earn the starting job, right? Right. right? It was like he was kind of uh, filling in. So uh, again, our, our memories can be very, very selective. That is true. So I think the advice that you take from here, at the end of the article, I put some bullet points of saying, hey, here's the four, five, six takeaways that I want to give you. I I did something that I haven't done a ton before, but I did want to give people some vocabulary. My whole purpose there is that if you don't understand what reinvestment risk is, then you're not really fully appreciating when you buy a short-term treasury that you're going to have to make a decision again uh, mm. to reinvest that. So I think that vocabulary can be helpful and to begin to learn the language of finance. Um, and again, at the end of the article, I closed out with this idea of all indicators are pointing to inflation softening. Now, we can argue about the reasons for that or, or the speculation, uh, but that will have an impact on interest rates. And you have to chew on that if you're making these decisions. My encouragement, if you're willing to borrow my lens, is to begin to look at your portfolio as money I need to use in the near future and money that really needs to last me a lifetime. You know, it's funny, you just said something that kind of uh, made me think of. When you said you have to make a decision in two years, it's human behavior to want to kick the can down the road and deal with it later. I almost named the article Kick the Can. Oh, really? Yeah. And it, it makes sense because if they go like, ah, oh, things are scary. I don't even want to think about this right now. Oh, I can buy this for two years. Oh, thank God. I don't have to think about it for two years. And uh, But by doing that or make, or not making a decision, you really are making a decision. You're kind of just putting your head in the sand and hoping for the best. Yeah, not only that, it's mentioned in the article, and maybe it's not always top of mind, but you've made so many of them. When you make those financial plans, you have to plug in the assumed rate of return. And I'm just using a real generalization, but I've seen a lot of the plans that you and the team have created. 
a good median number is like six and a half percent, right? Yeah. So if you're plugging six and a half percent and you're signing up for four and a half, you're not going to hit it. You're, you're starting in the hole. Right. You know, you know what I mean? So, I, I mean, a really good thought exercise is to really timestamp when you make these decisions. I, I'm thinking of a particular conversation I had with a client, you know, within the last six months or so that kind of wanted to do that swap, sell some stocks and buy a two-year treasury simply based on the yields of the stocks. And I was like, no, 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 like slow down. But how important would it be to use that game film, right? Yeah. To go and say, hey, remember when you wanted to do this? Not rubbing it in your face, but look how it played out. Uh, I know in, uh, in 2020, a very common thing that I would do is I would celebrate the clients that, which was our, in my mind, all of our clients that come to mind for me, that stayed invested through that really tough, like March and April time. Mm -hmm. And I looked at like June, July, August, and and I literally read off their returns to them for those months and said like, here was your compensation for being patient. Here was your compensation for being patient. Because when you start to see the real numbers, and we had a little bit of it last year, I think it was September. If you look at the losses in September, gut-wrenching. But then October and November were like well over what was, you know, that temporary paper loss in September. Yeah. So sometimes slowing down and being able to, to, to really see how you're compensated for patients, I think can behaviorally be helpful. And then as time goes on, uh, that trust is built and, and then they start to kind of believe in the plan and uh, it, it makes those times easier. It absolutely does. And, and uh, I've, I've read articles and studies about this idea of like, there's some people that argue there's a retirement crisis in America. So they're trying to think of, hey, what are things that we can do to make investors better investors, right? So like automatically opting them into their 401k plans, automatically increasing their contributions every year, right? Um, making these things that are just like uh, systematic. One of the studies talked about um, this software that would uh, show you a picture of yourself um, aged. Have you heard this before? No. Okay. Yeah, it would show you a picture of yourself like aged like – 20 years. And what they were trying to do is they're trying to help people get this idea that you have a future self, right? Um, and in order to kind of help future self, um, you need to save and prepare. And it gave this, it's funny, but it gave this like tension point of reality of like, oh, I do need to like squirrel some money away because I, I'm only hurting my future self if I don't do that. I'm just picturing like a picture of my older self with like an empty bag of money and they're being like, you're going to be broke. Help yourself, you know, Yeah, save for retirement. No, it was it was this idea like you were saying is uh, our brains really, um, they have so much to focus in the today, right? That it, it wants to get people with this reality of being a long-term thinker. That's how I closed out this article, right? Is that um, if you take anything from what we talked about today, is one attribute of successful investors is that they're long-term thinkers. And I didn't include this in the article, but I did think about this. Um, have you read any of those articles about the clock that Jeff Bezos made? Mm -mm. He, uh, again, I don't know all the details, but I would encourage you guys to Google search, read it. But he really wanted to portray this idea for Amazon of the importance of being long-term minded, right? So he built, uh, I don't even know what to call it, but I think it's a clock. He built a clock uh, that, again, I'm going to butcher this, but the alarm was set for 10,000 years. So he built a 10,000-year clock, um, put a lot of money into it, and it was all to represent this idea of we have to think in the long term. And I, I, I think investors have a lot of trouble with that. 
Um, they look at all the headlines of what's going on today, and they help. They allow it to overwhelm them with anxiety and really make short-term decisions that aren't really good for future self. So there's like nine thousand nine hundred and seventy years left on his expensive alarm clock. Uh, you'll have to Google search. It. I don't know if it's an <laughs> alarm clock, but like built it in this mountain. But again. I don't know if this is the best use of money, but uh, I do like this idea of really doubling down, of teaching people like, hey, how to be long-term investors. Yeah. And we could sit here and give all the statistics on Warren Buffett, right, that mm-hmm. like 90% of his wealth was built after the age of 60 and all these different things because one of the greatest attributes of Warren Buffett is the fact that he's been investing for 80-plus years. That's what compounding loves is time. That's right. So we'll close it out there. Um, this is definitely an article that would, uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of questions would arise, comments, uh, criticisms. <laughs> we'll welcome them all. You can reach either Sean or Trevor at Tom at thebonsagroup.com. Very easy, T-O-M at thebonsagroup.com. And um, we'll ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. All comments are welcome. And of course, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on, on Money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.